I appreciate John singing that melody of 70 songs. When, when I knew I was speaking, I, I made a list of songs I hoped we could sing. And I showed them to Bonnie, and she says, Honey, these are all from the 1970s. I said, So? I mean, I came to know the Lord in the 1970s. This stuff had a big impact on my spirit. You know, that's what I sing still. I don't, and, and so I, I, I gave the list to John. I said, look, anything else, you know, that's more modern you want to put in there, you just do it. go ahead and do that. Uh, today when I'm sharing, I'm going to be asking some questions. And I don't necessarily need a response as much as I want you to think about it. Okay, that's kind of my style. Raise some questions, you know, it, it's, it, you know, and, uh, and then I, am, I am going to sing a song. And if you would like to jump in there and sing with me, it would probably help. OK, but I just wanted you to be aware of that. And then there is a time when I will ask you to speak. You will know when that comes. OK, let's pray together before we start. Lord, this is the day that you have made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the privilege of living in these days. Thank you that you are working to conform us to the image of your son. Lord, I pray you would give us ears to hear what your spirit would say. And you would set us free to be who we are in your son. We ask your blessings. Look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there's some experiences in life that we never forget. You know, we remember where we were, what we were doing when a certain event happened. If you're advanced in years, like I've been told that I am, you remember where you were and what you were doing when President Kennedy was shot and killed. Most of us remember where we were and what we were doing when the planes flew into the World Trade Center, September 11, 2001. One of our sons was in New York City on that day, and he had told Bonnie and me that he had a job interview near the World Trade Center. So when we saw the news, we called him on his cell phone, and he didn't answer. Needless to say, we had some anxious moments for about an hour and a half until he did return our call. He was asleep. I want to tell you about an experience that I had in 1996. Our oldest granddaughter, Chloe, was a baby, and she and our daughter-in-law, Lexi, were living with us while my oldest son, David, was going through some training in the Air Force. I was pastoring a church and was also working as a hospice chaplain in Fort Myers, Florida. That particular day, I was in town about 20 minutes from where we lived, attending a seminar for hospice on the subject of the relationship between stress in our souls and diseases. When we paused for lunch, I got a phone call from Lexi asking if I knew where Bonnie was, and I told her that she was at home. Lexi explained, uh, no, she isn't. Then she related that 30 minutes earlier she had asked Bonnie to listen out for Chloe, who was taking a nap in one of her bedrooms, while she went to the drugstore. Lexi had just returned home, and Bonnie wasn't there. Chloe was still napping. He added that there was a half-finished lunch plate on the dining table. All of a sudden, my physical health took a hit because I was overwhelmed with stress. You see, uh, I know Bonnie. 
at that time, we had been married for almost 30 years. And I knew she would never leave our grandchild unattended. I didn't know where she was, but I immediately thought there may have been some foul play and that a person may still be in the house. So I told Lexi to get Chloe to go out and stand by the road away from the house until I got there. And I immediately left the seminar and drove home. A lot of slow people on the road that day. When I got there, I walked throughout the house and checked every room and closet. Bonnie was nowhere to be found and there was no evidence of anything being out of order. I was just getting ready to call 911. When the thought came to me to check to see if she was over at the church, which was about a mile away. I called called the church and and Bonnie answered the phone. And uh, I was moved to tears when I heard her voice. And I asked her what she was doing. And she explained that she had been eating lunch when a lady she was supposed to be meeting with arrived early to take her over to the church. We only had one car in those days, and I always drove that to work. We had another one, but I gave it away without checking with my wife. And let me, I I advise don't do that. Anyway. When I told Bonnie that she had left Chloe unattended while Lexi went to the store, she was shocked. She said, what? She said, I didn't know Chloe was there. When Lexi told me she was going to the drugstore, I thought Chloe was with her. That explained everything. Now, what was the truth in this story? Bonnie was safe. Why was I filled with anxiety and stress? I didn't know the truth. But I did know Bonnie. And I knew that she would always act consistently with who I knew her to be. There's a difference between knowing someone and knowing about them. What about knowing God? Is it possible to know God and not just believe some things about Him? That's one of those questions I want you to just think about. Okay? Or you can even say it out loud. That probably encourages me. Say it out loud. I don't care. Thank you. Many people will tell you that they believe in God, but listen to what Jesus says in John 3.16 in the Amplified Bible, a verse that's very familiar with us. It says, for God so greatly loved and deeply prized the world that he even gave up his only begotten unique son so that whoever believes in, parentheses, trust in, clings to, relies on him, shall not perish, come to destruction, be lost, but have eternal everlasting life. Do you see how the word believe is defined in the Amplified Bible? It means to trust in, to rely upon. To cling to. The way the Bible uses the word believe is much more than just merely thinking something is true. The Bible says that demons believe in God, that God's real. In fact, they know it and they shudder in fear. 
but they're unwilling to honor God as God. Let me ask you a question. Now, now I want you to think about this one. Don't say it out loud. Or you can if you want to. Can God be trusted? I, I mean, no, I, I mean, I'm not talking about using him for hell insurance. You know, yeah, I prayed the prayer. I get to go to heaven when I die. I got car insurance, hell insurance, health insurance, hell insurance. Check that one off. No, 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 no. I'm talking about in the things that matter. And that matters. Don't, don't, it really does matter. But I'm talking about can God be trusted in the things that matter in your life? John, John 17, 3, also in the Amplified Bible. Jesus, in this verse, Jesus gives a definition of eternal life as he's praying to God his Father. And he says, and this is eternal life. It means to know. To perceive, recognize, and become acquainted with and understand you, the only true and real God. And likewise to know Him, Jesus is the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah, whom you have sent. When you combine these two verses, we see that when we do believe in Jesus, trust in Him, cling to Him, rely upon Him, we receive eternal life, which Jesus explains means knowing and having a relationship with Him and with God the Father. You know, we, we talk in terms, sometimes, of inviting Jesus into our lives to be our Savior and Lord. And, and, and He wants to be that for us. But in essence, God is inviting us into His life. That's an important thing to grasp. It isn't, Lord, bless me. It's, Lord... Let me be a part of your family and interact with you. Eternal life is not merely going to heaven when you die. One day. It's, it's talking about a quality of life that God's children are to experience here and now in this life. As we walk the earth, Apostle Paul challenged us in 1 Timothy 6.12. To fight the good fight of faith. And then he tells us what that means. When he continues, he says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. That's what it means to fight the fight of faith. Grab hold of who you are and what it means to be in relationship with God. He reiterates the same challenge in verse 19. When he says, take hold of that which is life indeed, or that which really is life. Eternal life is God's life. It's the life he intends you and me to experience here on earth. It's living life in relationship with him. It's seeing people and things from his perspective. That's reality. A lot of stuff out there right now that's not real. But people sure are sucked into it. Any other worldview falls very short. In fact, eternal life is a person. It's Jesus Christ who comes to live in you by His Spirit so He can live His life through you as you put your trust in Him. But 
This life will not be forced on you. You have to acknowledge your need for Jesus and receive Him into your life as a gift from God. Then the journey will begin. The journey of getting to know God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit more and more. And the more you get to know them, the more you learn to trust them and to rely upon them. And the more you see the need to cling to them in every aspect of life. There's not the sacred life when you go to church and then the real life in your way. It's all one. And Jesus intends to be a part of all of it. But, you've got to make this first step with God. By an act of your will, you make a decision to, to, to surrender the control of your life to Jesus. You trust all you know of yourself to all you know of God. And let me just ask you, and don't answer this out loud. This one, this one, okay? Have you ever done that? I don't assume that just because a person comes to church that they truly have surrendered to Jesus as their Savior and as their Lord. Going to church will not make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's will make you a hamburger. I was 25 years old and already a deacon in my church before I recognized that believing in God meant trusting Him and relying upon Him Rather than relying upon myself. And it scared me to death. Kept me awake. I didn't know if I could trust God. I was already married, so I, I wasn't worried about Him making me marry an ugly woman. But, I was afraid that he might send me to Barneo to work with the pygmies. I really did. I really did. And, and I was also afraid that I would become religious and weird. I don't know which one would be worse. I believed... That God was so desperate for people who actually trusted Him that when He actually got one who said He would, He had these jobs nobody else wanted to do that, that He was going to have you do. That's not funny. I had my life planned out, man. Track coach, school teacher, retire, the, you know, the last, in fact, a guy that explained to me said, you know, if God called you into the ministry, would you go? And I said, no way. He said, why not? I said, because I've never seen a preacher's family that wasn't messed up. And I don't want to do that to my kids. I actually said that. And he said, well, then you don't know God. Man, I'm a deacon at the First Baptist Church. What are you talking about? They're in my heart here. See, God's not like that. <laughs> I'm just telling you, He's not like that. Uh, he wants you and me to be truly free. 
and, and become the awesome, unique person that he designed you to be when he created you. He, had, he has a destiny for you and a destiny for me that nobody else can fulfill. And, and, and he has a purpose, purpose in your life that will satisfy the desires of your heart. An adventure that you can never orchestrate on your own. I don't care what kind of resources you have. I wouldn't trade places with some of these people that are ultra, ultra rich. Because one of the things I know that's true, different levels, different devils. And I've got all I can handle right where I am. So, so, so I ask you again. Here again, don't answer out loud. Have you ever trusted all that you know about yourself to all you know about God? He loves you. He wants to come live inside of you to change you from the inside out. But you have to give up control and tell God that you want what He wants to give you. And if you've never do this, have never done this, you can do it right now. And I want to just pause and, and have a word of prayer. The first prayer I prayed when when all this stuff hit me, I I, I was scared to death. I was miserable. I couldn't concentrate. I'm a school teacher. I need to prepare a lesson. I couldn't think of anything of, is this real, man? I mean, I know the religion game. I can play that and get a, get a star by my name. I don't know if you ever had that happen to you, but I grew up that way. So I got down on my knees and I said, God, I don't know if you're real or not. But if you are, I give up. I give up. And for the first time in my life, I sensed God's presence. It was amazing. Bonnie had been praying for me. We'd been married five years. Bonnie had been praying for me. She used to try to change me, leave little things for me to read. That didn't work too good. I'm going to tell you. But that don't work. So finally, she just turned me over to God. That, that, that wasn't good. Praying for me. And that very night after I got up, I was in my little study, got up from my knees. I, I, I got back down. And I said, all right, God, let's try this thing out. You say, ask you, talk to you, trust you. I'd like to be able to talk to my wife about what just happened to me. You give me an opportunity. Get back up. Try to concentrate. Can't. Bonnie knocks on the door about 15 minutes later. Says, I'm getting ready to go to bed. I didn't know if you wanted to talk. And I said, no, I'm too busy. Okay, she said, I'll see you in the morning. Then she shut the door. The Lord spoke to me for the first time I've ever heard his voice. And he said, I thought you asked me to let you talk to your wife. Oh, yeah, that was it, wasn't it? (laughs) So I go and start talking to her and she starts crying. She says, I've been trying to tell you this for five years. I said, well, I didn't know. I said, didn't get it. I didn't know. It's, it's real. So, so if you've never done that, let's pause right now. And just, just I want to just pray. I'm not going to leave you in a... Let's just pray and say, you know, let's, everybody bow their head for a minute. Let's just say, Lord, Lord, you see everybody's hearts here. And, and Lord, you, you love them and you call them to yourself. And this is a time for them to surrender to you, Lord. I pray you would just give them the words of saying, 
I give up. Lord, come into my life. It's this in Jesus' name. And let me say something. If, if by chance you're a person that did that just now, would you tell somebody that you trust you did? Hopefully there's somebody in your life you trust. What about the rest of us? Many of us have known the Lord for a long time. This is a question I want you to think about, and then I'm going to give you a chance to say it out loud. But who do you experientially know God to be? What are some ways He has acted consistently with who He is in your life? Would you take a moment and think about that for a minute? All right, you got it? I know that was a short minute, but I think my note said moment. That was a moment. Just speak it out loud. Who do you know God to be? Love. Good. Faithful. Thank you. What? You're everything. Provider. Father. Good. What? Daddy. Good. I'm wearing hearing aids and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. Comforter. Good. Your wife. Your life. Woman. Okay. All right. Hey. She's a gift. She's a gift, Ron. You know that. Good. Anything else? Anybody, anything, any other quality of God, of God that you've, you know is that He's going to be consistent with? He has been already in your life. Gracious. Forgiving. Good. I'm glad. What? Does somebody else say something? Trustworthy. Trustworthy. Hi. Good. Good. Since the uh, COVID-19 pandemic began, and by the way, I think most of you know Bonnie and I had that stuff. Uh, we were greeters at the church the Sunday before. I just thought that ought to make you comfortable. Uh, but uh, our, our symptoms were mild. You know, you know, I, I felt worse than going to work. Not that I felt good. But uh, I thank you for your prayers. Those of you that are aware, it was us. I saw, I guess we have a Facebook page. I, I've never done Facebook, but I guess somebody said, well, who is it? It's me. So, uh, but since that began, I've been drawn to one particular aspect of God's character, and that is his steadfast love. That's why one of the songs that we sang sung. And I immediately thought of the verses in Lamentations 3, 21 to 23, which say, This I recall to my mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. These words were spoken by Jeremiah the prophet. Right after Jerusalem had been sacked by the Babylonians, the temple destroyed and the people led away in captivity. 
not the most hopeful of circumstances. The word we translate steadfast love is the Hebrew word hesed, H-E-S-E-D. And it's not found in any other language. It combines the ideas of love and loyalty. It combines commitment and sacrifice. It's one-way love. It's love without an exit strategy. Tested love will love regardless of the response to the one loved. When you read the Old Testament, you recognize that the Jewish people knew God to be a God of truth and a God of Hesed love. They believed in God's love being expressed in Him sovereignly leading them in a path of righteousness, which is life at its best. The word Hesed is translated in English several different ways. The most common are loving kindness and mercy. Another one that's my favorite is his faithful love. When I read that in one of the translations, that's meant tremendous to me. God's faithful love. I want to look at a few verses that refer to God's hesed love and His sovereign guidance in the lives of those He loves. Psalm 25.10 says, All the paths of the Lord are loving kindness, hesed, and truth to those who keep His covenant and His testimonies. I think we're all familiar with the words of David in the 23rd Psalm when he says, He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. David in Psalm 16, in praise to his heavenly Father, he says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And in your right hand are pleasures forever. If you ever see uh, the painting in the Sistine Chapel of, 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 of creation, and you got God reaching down, and there's Adam reaching up, most people... Focus on how close their fingers are to touching. All Adam's got to do is reach out and take. But if you look at the picture closely, you see under God's underarm, other arm are all these blessings. And one of them's a woman. Oh yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Good stuff. All right. I grew up quoting Psalm one nineteen one oh five, which says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I also grew up quoting Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge or know Him. And how does it end? How, what? He will direct your path. See, I do. I, yeah, some of you are close to my age. Uh and, and He will direct your paths. Or another translation says, He will make your path straight. The Hebrew word for righteousness means straight. Solomon writes in Proverbs 4.18, he says, The path of righteousness is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The Jewish people believed in God. 
They trusted in him. They relied upon him and they clung to him because he had given them his word as a light to their path. And because he was sovereignly leading them with his hesed love. And their response to faith was to abide in the bigger story that God had placed them in here on earth. It's a big deal. It really is. A few passages of Scripture where the word hesed is used include Exodus 34, 6. This is where Moses is talking to God. And he asked God to show him his glory. And God told him he couldn't see his face and live. But he promised to make all of his goodness pass before him. And that he would proclaim the name of the Lord before him. This is what God proclaimed. He says, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, which is hesed and truth. Moses would later, later plead to God to be consistent with who he is when the Israelites refused to go into the promised land because of fear. In Numbers 14, verse 19, Moses prays, Pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your loving kindness. Not out of according to. And it never ends. Just as you also have forgiven this people from, from Egypt even unto now. When King David repented to the Lord for his sin of adultery and murder, You can read his prayer in Psalm 51. And he says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my iniquity. In verse 11, he adds, Don't cast me away from your presence, and please do not take your Holy Spirit from me. David knew that that he'd messed up. (laughs) Big time. But he also knew, i got to find where I was. Hold on. He also knew that God's hesed love, God's love, God's presence, God's spirit, only that could restore him. I love the song we sang, that love and kindness is greater than life. You know, I, I, I sing that song a lot. Stuck in the 70s. Okay? I like being stuck in the 70s. So don't bother me. Okay? But, but that song was written by David. And here he understood that doing life without the experiential knowledge of God's hesed love would be no life at all. It would just be existence. Two Psalms. That most of us are familiar with are Psalm 100 and Psalm 23. You remember Psalm 100 in the King James? This is the one I'm going to sing. But I'd like you to help me. Okay, we used to sing it all the time. It goes like this. And you join, jump in there quickly, okay? Uh, I think your, your neighbors would be glad you did. It says, okay, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye, all ye land. Serve the Lord, the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord is God. It is He that hath made us. And not we ourselves. 
We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his holy name. For the Lord, the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting and his truth, his truth endureth. His truth endureth to all generations. Hallelujah, glory, hallelujah. Hallelujah, glory, hallelujah. You keep on going like that. Then later on you jump in there. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. How many of you ever sung that song? All right. I could only hear myself, so I, 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 I'm disappointed. You know. But let me ask you, where in this song is Hesed mentioned? Take a little drink while you think about that. Hello, you just sang the song. <laughs> Where in that song is Hesit mentioned? Don't give me a number, tell me a word. The word mercy. Remember I told you, you weren't listening when I spoke this earlier. I said it's translated steadfast love, loving kindness, and mercy. Those are the main ways it's translated. You weren't listening. I, I, I'm, maybe you were. Maybe some of you were. Mercy. His mercy is everlasting. That's why you come before His presence with singing. That's why you're thankful. He created us. We're His people. We're the sheep of His pasture. That's a good place to be. And His mercy is everlasting. And His truth will endure to all generations. The last verse of Psalm 23 says, Surely goodness and mercy. I'll give you a clue. This is, this is the one in Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I think most people misunderstand this verse. When they read it or when they quote it. To begin with, the word that we translate follow would better be translated pursue. His goodness and mercy will pursue us all the days of our life. A lot different than follow. Follow means it's kind of tagging around back there. Saying, come on up here, man. No, man. It's pursuing us. Pursuing us. And that's an important thing to grasp. The message paraphrase gets it right when it says, when, when it says, Eugene Peterson says, your beauty and your love chase after me. I like that. I like that. And then when, it's, when we read, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, we think it's talking about going to heaven when we die. I preached it that way at a lot of funerals. A lot of funerals. But the word forever literally means length of my days. 
The Revised Standard Version translates this word my whole life long. That is an excellent translation. So, so dwelling in the house of the Lord is an experience for us here on earth now. And he's not talking about a building. He's not saying let's all move in here and everybody get a room. That's not what he's talking about. I like the way the Amplified Bible translates this verse. It says, surely or only goodness, mercy, and unfailing love will follow me all the days of my life. And through the length of days, the house of the Lord in His presence shall be my dwelling place. I like that. I like that. King David has some insight here. God's goodness and God's chesed love are pursuing us all the days of our life. Pursuing us. After us. And I think God wants us to slow down and let Him catch us. It's available. Because He wants us to dwell in His presence the length of our days. I think this is part of what it means to enter His rest. It's interesting. Proverbs 3 3 says, Don't let kindness, which is another translation for the word Hesed, don't let Hesed or kindness and truth leave you. Now, you can answer these questions if you want to, or you can just think about them. Do you believe that God's Word is true and a light to your path? Are you willing to line up with that Word if God gives you a fresh revelation of who He is, who you are in Christ, and how Jesus wants to live His life through you? Are you willing to... Line up with that. You believe that God is committed to you and has in love. You believe that God created you with a destiny and a purpose that only you can fulfill in His kingdom life here on earth. See, most of us say, well, man, I'm, I'm a nobody. I just get up and go to work. I just, you know, I'm a housewife. I just take care of all these kids. You know, I just, you know, I, I, you know I'm not Billy Graham. No, and be glad you're not. I mean, Billy's dead, but uh, be glad that, I mean, God has a purpose that only you can fulfill. And it's not being someone else. Now, let me explain what I mean by God being sovereign and us having a part in a bigger story than we can ever imagine. You know, a lot of times we don't recognize that when we're in the middle of it, it's only later when we look back and we see God's hand. And this is a story out of my own life. Um, Five and a half years ago, I had retired at age 66, moved to Franklin, be near my daughter and grandchildren. At that time, I think there was three, been three, with three, four. Anyway, there's six now. But uh, anyway, uh, after about a year and a half of being retired, I was bored. My wife said, honey, you need to get out of the house. That true? That's true. Yeah, you need to get out of the house. So I tried to find a part-time job. I applied to be a substitute teacher, 
in the school. It was a Christian school. And they said on the application, uh, do you agree not to talk about any controversial issues? <laughs> and I answered this question this way. You're going to have to tell me what you consider controversial issues because it might not be controversial to me. It may be something that we need to talk about. And I'm not going to agree to be in a position where if I step on a landmine that I didn't know was there, I'm in trouble. So tell me what you consider controversial. They never even called me for an interview. It's okay. And so... I found out from my son-in-law that the Baptist Children's Home was looking for somebody. He said, I think that's something you could do. So I went to work at Drake Cottage Baptist Children's Home. And the last five and a half years have radically changed my life. See, I'm very different than most people I work with. And I'm very organized and very structured. That's not the situation there. Communication to me is important. I found myself being frustrated a lot. And even venting. Sorry to disappoint you. Vented. And also I realized that I was not equipped to really help these boys. Because they've been so traumatized by their past that they're in what I call survival mode. They're not going to trust anybody but themselves. And I was going to come in there and we'd do these little notebooks and have a little Bible teaching and, and, and they just kind of stare at you. So what I learned in all of this is, first of all, Lord, what are you saying to me about me? So I can change. And boy, I have changed and grown so much through that experience. I, I'm so thankful. But by the way, I'm retiring in just less than a month. And, and, and whatever I'm going into, I don't know, but I do know this. God's going to use it to pick up right where He left off to grow me and mature me and conform me to the image of His Son. But one of the things that changed in my life since working there is I just pray. I don't know. I know that sounds stupid. Well, I just pray. No. I, I pray has moved way up in terms of, I, Lord, only you can touch these boys. I want to tell you about one of the boys. I'm not going to mention his name. He was admitted in the middle of the night. That happens a lot. All the boys we have at the college right now are in DSS custody. Sometimes they have to be taken away from family. And it's the middle of the night. So I come to work and they tell me, we got a new boy last night. So I walk down to introduce myself and meet him. And he reminds me forever of my oldest grandson. Built the same way, speaks the same way, carries himself the same way. But it, but it didn't take me long to realize that's where the, the, the similarity ended. He was full of anxiety, struggled with depression. He was on medication trying to fix that. But my heart was really drawn to this young man. I would volunteer, and I do that, I've done that ever since I've been there, to take boys on appointments. This young man was from the Asheville area, and so he had, you know, eye doctor and all these doctors that he'd been seeing. And, and so I would take him to Asheville. And the reason I would do it 
is because the house parents can't. They've got to stay there with the other boys. But it gives me an opportunity to have some one-on-one. And, and to pray and say, Lord, orchestrate conversation. And there's many times in taking this young man that he would tell me things and he'd say, you know, I've never told anybody about that before. And I would say, well, thank you for trusting me. And I talked to him about the Lord. And he, he wasn't so sure about the Lord. The churches he had visited had been hellfire and brimstone, more political than they were Christian. And uh, he had enough problems without, without that. Well, I took him to an appointment one time. The way they, in, in Franklin, the way they do evaluations for medication is you go to either Appalachian Community Services or Meridian Behavioral Health Services, and you go and sit in a room, and there's a closed-circuit video between a doctor and you. The doctor goes all over North Carolina. So I took him one day, and he never could see his regular doctor. So they asked him to come back the next day, and they assigned him to another doctor that would be available the next day. So I took him the next day, and we go in there. And the guy comes on the screen, and he says, hi. He says, hi. He says, what's your name? He told him. He says, well, tell me about yourself. He says, well, you want to know. He says, uh, tell me about your parents. He says, they're deceased. Oh, the doctor says, I'm sorry to hear that. He says, how'd that happen? They were murdered. The doctor says, were you there? Said, yes, sir, I was. The doctor stopped. Took off his glasses. Leaned into the camera. He called him by name. He said, son, I can write a prescription for some of the symptoms that are going on in your soul. That are going on in your Emotions. But if I was to write one prescription for your soul, you know what I would write? Two words. Seek God. Would you do that for me? The young man said, Yes, sir, I will. Well, you could have knocked me over with a feather. <laughs> I mean, I'm about to have a hallelujah fit over there in the corner. So when we walk out of there, I say to him, I said, now, what does that mean? He said, I guess it means you pray. I said, it does. And I said, you know what I'm going to pray? You don't belong here in this group home. You need to be in a family. And I'm going to pray that God's going to open up for you a foster family. That will take you. He says, that will never happen. He says, I'm 16 years old and nobody wants me. I says, well, let's seek God together. Less than two weeks early, later, his social worker calls me up and says, the best foster family in the state of North Carolina has said he can come. And I said... To her, I said, I said, can I tell him? He goes, no, I want to tell him. So I walked down to his room and answered the phone. 
When he got off the phone, he runs down to my office. I mean, he ran down to my office. He says, this is crazy. This is crazy. God really does answer prayer. I said, yes, he does. I had the privilege of moving him, driving him to his new place. We've stayed in touch. He's come and stayed in our home. Bonnie and I went to his high school graduation. He's thriving. I just want to tell you, it wasn't anything I did except try to join God in the bigger story than what he was doing, what he was doing. It was not an accident that this doctor that he normally sees was not available. And that this Christian man, his name was Dr. McClellan, was led of the Spirit to press into this young man and say, see God. Now, that's the kind of stories we're all a part of all the time. We may not always see it. We may not be around. But that is what God is calling us to. Does that make sense? You don't have to walk around and be weird. Whoa. That probably ain't going to be the Lord anyway. I've seen some that... Uh... Anyway. Help me, Lord. We're all part of a much bigger story that God's ordained before the foundation of the world. You and I were born for such a time as this. There are roles in God's story that only you and I can play. Nobody can but us. You can't be someone else because somebody else already has that job. I believe in getting to know God. You get to know the real you. That's big. I mean, that's big. You, you, you can even get free when you get to know the real you. It ain't based on what everybody else thinks. It's you realizing who you are in the Lord. It's, 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 it's good. So, so, so please, go for it. We all need you to be the person you are in Christ. The body of Christ needs that. This body needs that. And only you can make that important and go for it. COVID pandemic, presidential election, the future of this church, the future of the church at large. These are not problems that God is wringing His hands over. He's got these things. <laughs> he really does. And I'm glad. But, but we have to get His perspective and understand His method if we're going to be a part of the solution. When I agreed to speak in church a while ago, I asked for two Sundays in a row. Today... Uh, we looked at the Old Testament perspective of how God related to His people. Next Sunday, 
I'm going to share what I consider to be the new covenant perspective. I hope you'll come. So what I'll be sharing is radical. I believe God is radical. <laughs> uh, at least He seems radical when you understand the new covenant that He made with His Son and our role that we're called to play in His redemptive purposes here on earth. Radical. What He's doing. What He's going to do. He's only going to do it His way. You know what I'm saying? He's not going to bless. Well, we're serious now. We're serious. So just bless what we're going to do. we got it all figured out. we got it. Don't worry. Hush. You don't have it. <laughs> you don't. God does. And it would require all of us repenting if we're going to join Him in what He's doing. When I said all, I meant all. I'm glad I'm still alive. Yeah, I was alive in the 1960s. But I'm even more alive now. 2020. And I'm excited about going forward. Amen. Remember to love one another best you can. Amen. You're dismissed.